This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to a new episode of K Golasso Pod. We are your Gold Cup coverage crew jimmy conrad heath pierce jimmy what's going on man today what's up what's up well go ahead what are we gonna say what are we talking about today we're we're, we're, we're doing the uh knockout round previews here (laughs) i know that i'm just kidding finals okay so you know so if you didn't know i know jimmy you you do these podcasts all the time you know sometimes i know there can't be enough time in the day to do all that you do but i know that when it comes to the gold cup it's dear to your heart so you're gonna bring up uh bring us some some fire uh as I do, as I do, yeah, everybody. Always. Yeah, always. As you do. So, Jimmy, the way we're going to do this today, we're going to start with U.S. Jamaica. We're going to go on to Mexico, Honduras. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and talk about the other two matches in the knockout rounds, Canada against Costa Rica and then Qatar against El Salvador. And by the way, Qatar, Jimmy, you know, you caught us a little, a little fire uh, on the Internet uh, for saying that they were just going to get uh, blown out in this tournament. And here they are, um, you know, running away with a few games. And, uh, <laughs> I, thought they were, I think you got me and you confused. I think you said that. And you no, were the no, one no, that, no, no, no. I listen, there's no way to go back because things disappear as soon as you say them. And that's the way the Internet works. <laughs> um, but we're going to have to talk about that. So let's, uh, you know, but before we do, how are you doing, man? Yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, obviously, very excited for these knockout round games from a U.S. men's national team perspective. This is what you want to see. Our guys under a full amount of pressure. You can make mistakes in the group stages and still go through. I thought we did make some mistakes, but we still won our group. So that's promising. Now, with a couple significant injuries, I'm looking at Walker Zimmerman and Paula Areola. You know, guys that we were going to be leaning on, I think, to help drive us into having a really successful campaign in this tournament are out and now we're going to get to see which guys can step up and and uh, really prove that they deserve to be on the national team full time. I like that. So let's let's start then right off the top with US Jamaica. Obviously they don't play until Sunday, but we can't do a preview of a knockout round and not start with uh, the US. Obviously US and Jamaica have do have some history. I don't know if you remember Jimmy. Of course you remember. Uh, is that the the Jamaica beat uh, the US in a, in a Gold Cup? Um, semifinal. I, was, I yeah, was there. Semifinal, 2017, I, I believe it was. 15, 15, 15. 15, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, 15 semis to Jamaica, beat uh, Jamaica 3-1 in 2019 uh, version as well in the semis. Um, so, look, I think Jamaica, and again, I don't think those kinds of statistics necessarily, necessarily play into this, but I do think it shows that Jamaica can compete, uh, especially in a knockout round. So what are, you, what are your thoughts of Jamaica before we get to the U.S. team and how the U.S. should be approaching this game? Yeah. Okay. So I'll say that I like Jamaica a lot. I think they're a bit of a sleeping giant. They always have been. Can their talented players really play to their full potential? And I think what we've seen in the past is that they have spurts where maybe five, 10 minutes of a half, maybe, maybe, maybe the whole game, depending on, you know, where they are and how organized they are. You could see if these guys could just get it together, they could figure out how to be consistent over 70, 80 minutes of a 90 minute game. They could be very difficult to beat. And They've been pretty solid throughout this tournament. They had some suspension concerns with yellow card accumulation. So they rested Leon Bailey and Alvis Powell, amongst others, didn't even play him against Costa Rica. They were already through. 
So it's just a matter of whether they're going to play the U.S. or Canada. Now, despite not having those players, despite Bobby Reed, who had scored in the first game, being out due to COVID, I think he will be available against the U.S. They still went out, and I thought they peppered Costa Rica. I thought they were the better team. They created more chances. They were dangerous throughout. And I thought Costa Rica got pretty fortunate to score the one goal that they did from Brian Ruiz because the Jamaica player didn't – it was in and around the box, but ultimately there's a 50-50 ball. He didn't go all the way in. Costa Rican player came up with it, hit a nice cross, and Brian Ruiz headed it. Outside of that, I thought Jamaica were very good. And that gives me some concern because Alvis Powell plays right back. Leon Bailey plays uh, right mid for them in a 4-4-2 in the first two games. Their whole right side was out against Costa Rica, and they were getting a lot of chances on the right side. So – it's going to be a big test for our players in particular. And as I talk about that right side, I think it's very important to think about what we're going to do on the left side from a U.S. perspective. This game makes me a little bit nervous. In some ways, I wish we were playing Costa Rica, who we have, well, we had played against them in a friendly, and yeah, it wasn't a great game, but I think maybe we match up. I know you but, said but, you hey, think Jimmy, we match up better but, against Jamaica, but, but I don't real know. Quick, There's something wouldn't, you, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you be nervous also with the way the U.S. played against Canada? against Costa Rica like yes it, yes I mean I, I guess to, to, to reset then how does the mentality shift for a team um and you've played in a number of, of of tournaments when you go from the group stages now to the knockout rounds right the group stages it was more of like is the U.S. going to finish first or second obviously huge implications but now it's lose and go home right and and how does the mentality shift how does the approach shift does it shift at all in your perspective in terms of uh, of what it means do the players become more nervous now that you know that a mistake actually has more consequences or more implications? Uh, that's a great question. I would say once you hit the knockout rounds, you know that there, there are less room for mistakes and that as you start to play against the better teams who have also qualified for the knockout rounds, you can get punished for those mistakes that maybe you got away with in the group stages and knowing you could get away with it in some capacity. So everything has to be a little bit tighter. And now I guess we're going to find out which players really rise to that pressure and which ones don't, right? And I think that's going to really help us determine who can help us in World Cup qualifying when every game feels a little bit like that, especially when you're away from home and everything matters. Every roll of the ball matters. Every decision you make matters. I used to love playing in those games, and I'm sure you did too. That was what the appeal was. Once you got a little taste of the national team, like, oh, whoa, this is what it's supposed to feel like. Every single roll of the ball. And you get addicted to it a little bit because mm -hmm. you want to play in matches like that all the time, game after game after game. So it's going to be a nice test for us, and I'm curious to see who Greg Verhalter ends up starting because, as I mentioned, Walker Zimmerman is out and that's a big loss, a very significant loss. He wore the captain's armband the last two games, so his presence. Do, do you think they go uh, to a 3-5-2, a, a or do you think they switch now that Zimmerman's out? This is, this is, I honestly don't know what Greg's going to do. I think it really ultimately depends on where he wants to employ James Sands. I think James Sands will play. I was talking with one of my friends, Tootle Raman, yesterday on, on my uh, Twitch show, Shameless Plug Alert, uh, twitch.tv slash Jimmy Conrad. <laughs> and uh, we, he basically said that, that Busio is going to come out and Sands is going to come in at that sixth spot. And then you'd maybe bring in uh, Donovan Pines, who I thought looked a little nervy when he came in for Zimmerman uh, against Canada, but fair play to him. He came off the bench in the 23rd minute and just got thrown into the You're fire. So, so I'll give him a little bit of room to breathe in that. But there was some passing that I thought was a little iffy from him. And just, just yeah, you're sounding lacks. crazy. You're sounding crazy right now, Jimmy. You're sounding why? Why? I, uh, we're going to move Sands into the six. And then... not, listen, I said Toodles said that. I didn't say I said it. I just was like, I'd rather have Sands in the back. I think yeah. Sands in the back with Miles Robinson. I would almost probably go back to a four in the back and have Shaq Moore 
on one side, Sammy Vines on the other. No Reggie I, Cannon? No, I'd go with Shaq Moore. Okay. Yeah, I think it's he's a lot of games, though. Another, I guess they have a week between these games. No, there's so much time in between. Yeah. So I would go with Shaq Moore. The, the thing with it's almost Acosta for sure, I think will be in the team, even though we can make a strong argument for Williamson. So I'm kind of just deciding whether it's Acosta Williamson is a double pivot. And you really have two guys to protect that back four. If you're feeling like there's some vulnerability there. And then, then you have legit. That's probably out in front of them. I would go back to one striker. I thought that uh, as much as I want to see a little bit more of Zardis and DK as two strikers, I don't know if you go to it in a knockout round game when it didn't look like they were really uh, finding the flow. And I know that we had a big conversation about whether that was the midfield's fault for not getting the ball in good spots or whether they just were maybe running into the same spaces because they're used to playing as the lone striker. You know, there's a lot to unpack there. So why not put the team back into a formation they feel comfortable with? That would be Daryl DK if everybody's healthy would be my one off that. And then maybe Matthew Hoppy who could maybe start on one side, uh, Tudor Raman, who, who I love. He said that Christian Roldan might be an option there. They brought in Cade Cal. So, so, you know, that guy's a man child. That's a grown ass man there. He, he, <laughs> he, he, they say he's quote unquote 17. Dude looks like he's 25. I mean, I played professionally for 12 years. I never once looked like that guy. Hey, my Jimmy, that's because he's from the central Valley, man. We're built. That's different true. There. You are built. No, we're just built. Different. That's, that's, that's a corn fed kid right there. You know? That is, there's a part of me though. And I guess my question to you, Heath is, is outside of the back four. I obviously want to hear your starting lineup, but do you go back to Busio who maybe wasn't as sharp or maybe he wasn't as influential against Canada as I think we wanted to see him given a game of that magnitude and given that we lost momentum in that game. We couldn't regain it. That's what kind of bummed mm -hmm. me out. How did we regain that momentum? And Busi is one of those players that we expect to do that. That's his job, right? Yeah. He's out there to do that. If things are getting a little bit out of hand, how does he get the ball under his feet and start to control the tempo again? And he yeah. didn't do that against Canada. And I thought we got overrun in midfield. So that gets me a little bit worried about rolling out Acosta, Busio, and Legette again without really tinkering too much because i'm sure the jamaican coaches have seen what canada did and did well yeah i think if you're talking about williamson or busio i go with busio again just because i think the, there's more upside i thought williamson deserves a start but i think because you're seeing what you're on the verge of with busio you have to continue to kind of work with him and i think you have to continue to give him chances obviously it's easier said than done in a game of consequence i think williamson has more experience and provides a lot more polish, I guess, on the ball now and what in the few minutes that I than I saw with him. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to drop Acosta into the holding midfield spot and push Busio higher up and more connected to the to the attack, I think that's good. I think what people forget about a player like Busio is he's gonna he wants to come and get the ball in good spots offensively, but defensively he's going to be in a different starting position, right? And, and we've talked about this before of like, especially Jimmy, you're doing your A, I'm I'm in my B in terms of like formation versus um, system of play and what system of play mm -hmm, means mm -hmm. in different spots of the field. And, and that system of play is he's good at, at controlling the tempo of, of the game, but do you want him as your six? I don't know if he'll ever be a true six. Pirlo wasn't a true six. There was a lot of people that would have to, you know, he'd sort of drift up, back up into other spots when the team would turn over or in transition, um, but is a six on the ball, kind of a Juninho type. And so um if you're gonna, if you're putting him against Williamson, I want to go with Busio to just keep one showing a faith in him and two forcing him to step his game up. You know, mm -hmm, I, mm -hmm. I I think he was a little bit shook. I think he he he's shown flashes uh, flashes. Um, but but I think uh, if you have an Acosta in there, somebody can cover some ground and somebody that's going to have their starting point be in front of that back four 
uh, defensively, I think that takes a little bit of that responsibility off him, allows him to say, okay, pick and choose your spots. But, you know, does he start to become a little bit um, duplicative with, with mm-hmm, Jet mm-hmm. at that point? I'm not really sure. So, uh, but, but if it, again, if Williamson or, 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 or Busio, I think I, I go with Busio in, in that context. But um, if, so, if, yeah, I, I guess then it really centers around what you want to do with Sands because what he did against Canada, and I thought it worked to great effect, was the fact that he would step into midfield to kind of unlock the pressure. So he'd play to one of the other center backs, and instead of dropping off to go receive the ball as an outlet, he'd step into midfield, and then they could just play that little split ball, and now that first line of pressure from Canada was out. Now, if you have a team, and I thought that Canada did adjust when they went back into a 4-4-2 and kind of, I don't say completely got rid of that, but it wasn't as dangerous. It didn't, it didn't hurt them as much when Sands did that. They did a better job of kind of having that double pivot of themselves, like a little flat two in the midfield instead of staggering them. If you guys are following me now, I got my coaching hat on. But I would say the more I think about it, the biggest place that I think we can get hurt by Jamaica is on that right side with Leon Bailey, with Alvis Powell on that right. They are very, very good. They're very good at creating numerical advantages. Bailey obviously can cut in from the right to the left. You got Bobby Reed. If he plays, very good player up top for them where it's a number 10 shirt. If he doesn't, I think obviously that helps us a bit. But Jamaica are going to be solid, and they're going to make us earn it. So we're going to have to be patient at times to kind of weather their storm, but not collapse our lines. And that's where we do run into problems at times where we have our midfield line collapse onto our defensive line. And there has to be some, as we talked about it before, I'm going to reiterate it, the integrity of those lines and that space has to, to remain true so that when we do win the ball, we have proper people in place to, to transition. So these are all little things that people need to pay attention to. But the more that I think this out, Heath, and for everybody listening, there could be some value in playing three center backs and having two wing backs so that Sammy Vines is actually stepping. He's basically right on Leon Bailey, right, right from the get-go. So that Leon Bailey can't, get really going in any meaningful way. And then, you know, you have a center back behind you that can help clean up if that in that pocket of space behind the wing back. And then on the other side, Shaq Moore, obviously has done an excellent job, whether as the right back for me, at least, or the wing back. So that means you bring in a pines, but then you have to sacrifice somebody potentially up top. My, my fear is if we play a four, four, two and legit, let's say legit's out wide left, his tendency is going to be to drift inside. And now you got Alvis Powell and Leon Bailey, I let you will go do the work at times, right? But there could be opportunities where it's going to be a lot of one v one isolation between Leon Bailey and and Sammy Vines, and I don't know if that's in our best interest. Where Sammy Vines starts kind of in a better starting position defensively, that could maybe slow down Leon Bailey a little bit, and then we could shift and cover a little bit better. This is me getting really speculative, but but there's something to unpack here, and, and I'm getting into uh, some of the nitty gritty. But I love it. That's why we love talking about it. Yeah, I, I you know, I and, and I agree with you. I think. And that's why one of the things you get from Acosta as a minimum, right, is he's going to cover ground. He's going to he's going to be able to shift over, cover long distances in the transition game. He puts in that defensive shift that you hope that he's going to come over and be the support in one v one scenarios out wide, uh, where 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 vines or more might be might be isolated. And so, I for some reason I. I it's weird because uh, if you asked me a week ago, I loved the, the, the three back or the five back, whatever you call it mm-hmm. for the U S team. And then when I looked at that game, I just go, well, if, if, if Jamaica is patient and they start to realize where those pockets are, I was worried for the U S against Canada and their ability to, to and not even a, whether it was a three back or a four back, but just enough experience to know, take what the game gives you. Right. Mm-hmm. Can you recognize on the fly? Is there enough experience in, in the, 
in the back line or in the back six to be able to be like, okay, this is where the trouble is. They're coming into pockets. They're pulling our center backs out. And now they're, now they're getting isolated on the wings or they're changing the point of the, uh, of attack. And I think that's the thing that I, that, that, that I, that was lacking for me is that intelligence to be like, okay, the game is now shifted. The game has changed. And now this is what's happening against us. And I thought that the U S was really slow to try to recognize that. And against Jamaica, and again, Jimmy, as you mentioned, the default then becomes collapsing, mm-hmm. right? Which is deeper and deeper and deeper because I'm a six and I'm running it back into the back line. And I don't know, no one's releasing me and I'm not releasing my next guy. So we can actually keep integrity of, of our blocks. Um, and that's the thing that I worry about with this team against the Jamaica, if they are able to spread us out and get isolated in those positions that now somebody like an Acosta overcommits to help on the, on the, on the, mm-hmm. on that side, instead of having that safe distancing or balancing, and now one, two, three passes, they're out the other side. And, and, and now we're really exposed. Yeah. I think, I think Jamaica are going to cause us some problems. And I think we've seen so far in this tournament that we don't always solve those problems quickly and it might take us a little bit. And right now we haven't been punished for that. Canada probably deserved more than they got from that one zero loss to us. I think they deserved a goal for sure. They put themselves in some good spots to make plays and maybe just didn't have the composure or maybe the referee didn't want to call a penalty another day. Maybe that ref calls two penalties against us. So it's just, just, I don't know. It's a real thin line between success and failure at the highest levels, as we like to say. And I'm curious to see which of our guys are going to step up and make plays. What are the heavy favorites? If you want to get into betting really quick, William Hill uh, to, to, to win this game. I think that's a little disrespectful to, uh, uh to jamaica a little bit but i want to say hold on, i'm getting the lineup right here we're so you have to bet 187 to win 100 so we're minus 187 the draw is plus 275 jamaica to win straight up is plus 480 now i don't think jamaica will win straight up because we've done a pretty good job defensively we're at least very tough to break down at times and matt turner's made the saves that he's need to make uh throughout this this tournament which is nice I kind of like the draw in some capacity for value. Now I'm, 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 I'm going to try to leave my emotion out of it. You, I have, you're going to take emotion out of the game. I'm going to try. I'm going to try, but, but obviously in my heart says that USA is going to win for sure. You know, we have enough guys and, and if Daryl DK is healthy and, and they get the ball to him in good spots and we're, you know, taking advantage of what Jamaica's given us, we're going to win the game. But there's something about this Jamaica team. You got Michael Hector who didn't play against Costa Rica either. He plays for Fulham I mean, they got some quality. Uh, around the team that uh, and there's always a hunger to want to beat the u.s and yes i know that you mentioned earlier historically we do pretty well against jamaica in this competition outside of that one semi-final loss that was a shock in 2015 that where we and i played against them in the gold cup before too they always slap us around for a little bit but they never seem to finish those opportunities and if they do get that first goal this is what i worry about if they score first I, I want to see how we respond. I'm very curious to see how we respond and how quickly we can get back into the game and take over. Or are we going to somehow feel down for ourselves and Jamaican can kind of keep that momentum going for a prolonged amount of time. And, and we have, to, I don't know, that's the Jamaica scores first. That's what I'm worried about. But in terms of value, if I'm looking at it from a betting thing, if I wanted to get something out of this, I would look at the draw and then obviously I would hope the U S do the business in, in extra time and or penalties. So that's uh plus two seventy five is pretty good for the draw. I like that. And, you know, Jimmy, I'm going to, I'm going to get my closing thoughts on this, on this U S Jamaica game. And then w- would love to get yours for me. It just comes down to now knowing that this team's shown some flashes. Mm-hmm. They've shown that they can get shook. They can lack a little bit of an identity or somebody that's going to grab a hold of this game and take over. And mm-hmm. so for me, the bare minimum, the, 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 the bar that I'm setting for them 
is, are you willing to scrap? Are you willing to fight? Are you willing to, and this, this is more of a cultural thing that I'm wanting to see from this team consistently to know that it's going to be ugly. Sometimes you might not have the ball. Sometimes you might be playing terribly. You might have passes flying all over the place and, and turning the ball over. But are you willing to, uh, do, you, do you have what it, it, in you to make an impact on this game? And it sounds cliche, but you know what I'm talking about, where it's just mm -hmm. like find a thing that you can do and do really well that's going to help this team get a result because they have enough quality, right? DK gets his chance, he's going to score. And if it's not DK, Zardes is going to score. And if it's not Zardes, Hoppy's going to score. I think there's enough quality to win this game. But if you are having an off day, if you are not having your best game or the game is not being built or, or, or presenting itself in a way that, that you as a player think that you can be your best, right? You're being put into a position and you know certain coaches that put you into these boxes sometimes and you're like, man, I just feel really constrained and restrained and I don't feel like mm -hmm. I can, you know, can you find a way to still contribute to the team uh, and, and contribute to say, you know what, my man's not going to beat me. And if your man beats you, I'm going to step in and make that play. And I'm going to make sure that all of these things that I can control, I'm going to control. And then know that we have enough quality for somebody to finish this game off. That's my final thoughts for the U.S. game against Jamaica. Yeah, now that I think about it and listen to you and, and go through how I believe this game could potentially play out and how Greg Berhalter in particular is going to try to think it through. I'm going back to three in the back. I think he's going to do it. I think Pines will start. Sands will be in the middle. Robinson on his left side. Robinson was very good against Canada. Shaq Moore will be one of the wingbacks. Uh, Sammy Vines will be one of the wingbacks. I think Acosta and Bustio, I think you're right. I think he'll continue. And I think we should continue to go with Bustio, continue to get him a run of games. Still stick with him, even if he didn't play particularly well. I think he's important for his confidence. Then I'll have Daryl DK up top. And then on either side, you got Hoppy and, and Legette. And Legette can kind of pick his spots as to when uh, he's going to go. My, my big concern is Acosta and Bustio, who, who's really taken over and being the six? Because I thought Canada did a good job of having them nobody really taking that spot and making it their own it was was it busio doing it was it acosta doing it and i think that created some gaps that they definitely exploited a little bit at times to pick up that pick up the ball in that spot i think kyle Aaron did it a few times uh in front of the back four to get some shots off and to create some some trouble for us so that will be a bit of an issue but that said i i think that's my guess now for the lineup and I wish the boys well it's all your points you know i think they're gonna make plays and, and hopefully it's enough to win the game and I think Jamaica is going to be a great test. So let's leave the result out of this just from, from a straight experience perspective. This is going to be very good for our players and, and as they go out, go on through the tournaments and hopefully it's uh, all the way to the final. That's well said, Jimmy. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will be continuing our preview of the knockout round coverage of the gold cup. We'll be right back. eBay motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey everyone, this is Jimmy Conrad, your favorite former U.S. men's national team player and the host of the Call It What You Want podcast. 
And I'm here to tell you that Viore is a versatile clothing brand that speaks my language. It's inspired from the coastal California lifestyle, just like me. Its products stand the test of time, just like me. And also, just like me, it endeavors to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Viore gear is designed to look great in everyday life, while also being perfect for any workout activity. I'm currently rocking the men's Sunday performance jogger, and don't let the name deceive you. You can wear these babies any day of the week and in any situation. I'm talking going to the office, running errands, the gym, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash sports. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash sports. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Again, go to viore.com slash sports and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Welcome back, football friends. We've got more knockout round previews to go. Jimmy, let's move on to Mexico contra Honduras, the Catrachos. Uh, you know, you've, you've played against both these teams. Uh, you know sort of the, the elements of what they bring to the table. But for Honduras, just before we get started, Maynard Figueroa, their most experienced player, probably closing in on 40 years old, came off injured. Uh, Kyoto came off injured. Uh, he's their top scorer in the tournament. And then you know, you're talking about a Mexico team who started the tournament 30 shots to four in their opener against Trinidad, 81% possession, 17 to four against Guatemala. Uh, Funes Mori getting his, his, I think it was a brace in that game. And then slowly kind of dialing back to a little bit more even um, in terms of possession. So they started out firing and obviously against an opponent that they should, uh, but now go into this one against Honduras, a, a Honduras team that I was really impressed by in the Nations League, but are now a little bit depleted due to injury. What are your and initial COVID. thoughts? And COVID. Yeah, and COVID. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say with regard to Honduras, I just think this is going to be a, a tall test and a big task for them. They, in an international friendly, I think prior to the Nations League, they drew... 0-0 with Mexico. Obviously, there's nothing really at stake, so it becomes um, a little hard to know and how to pick in, in, in certain things that you like to see from Honduras there, but because they're missing so many of their key players, and because Mexico's playing so well, maybe not on the attacking side of the ball, but you said all those shots that they had and the shots they gave up. Through the three group stage games, they only gave up three shots on goal. Three shots on goal in three games. I mean, that is pretty ridiculous, and I think when we look at teams whether we're breaking them down in the Champions League or Copa America or whatever it is, right? Any competition, you're looking to see, well, what is their identity defensively? We saw England, right? Not really firing on all cylinders in the Euros, but they knew who they were defensively and yeah. they knew how to close space down. They knew how to make it difficult for you. And they had a, a goalkeeper that was making the saves at the right time. And that led England all the way to the final of the Euros, okay? So Mexico has that. Mexico knows who they are. They haven't given up any goals, by the way, not only three shots. They haven't even given up any goals throughout this. They know who they are on that side of the ball. And I think that's harder to get down as a collective than it is offensively, where, where you just need a couple things to click. Now, obviously, losing Chucky Lozano is a big loss for them. But Funes Mori has come in, and obviously he's been very excited to prove that Argentina made a mistake by not picking him for their national team. And he's got a lot. And I, I like that chip on his shoulder. I think it, it's a nice edge. And they're going to miss Raul Jimenez, of course, but I think Funes Mora comes in and has done a good job. But so when you couple all these things together, it, it's been tough uh, to make it happen. Mexico, not outside of Lozano, not really missing anybody, not missing anybody due to, to COVID. So they can really kind of play with a full deck. And, and Tata Martino 
can come in and, and do his thing. Now, I think the big issue when I follow the Mexican team or when I, when I look at the, their, their, the big fans of their blogs on Twitter, because I follow a lot of those people and, and I want to tap into what they're concerned about and, and what's frustrating them, right? I mean, we always get kind of in our own bubble about the U.S. And, you know, you have your little echo chambers or like, yeah, Greg Berhalter out. And then like, no, he's fine. It's this mm-hmm. person. should be, You know, and you kind of get into those echo chambers. Well, I want to, I like to dive that into, into Mexico as well. And I think what I find interesting is that they just want to see more statement wins. They have so much talent on their display. So when I'm a fan of the team, and, and, and if I'm a fan of Tata Martino, you're just like, we're, we're so good. How are we barely beating teams 1-0? How are we drawing 0-0 with Trinidad and Tobago? And I think that's where a lot of their frustration lies, is that they have all this talent, but it doesn't necessarily turn into the big results that I think the fans are expecting, given the talented manager they have and obviously all their talented players. And I think... My only, and I'll say this too about uh, maybe El Salvador, whoever scores first, like if Honduras really wants to have a chance, they have to score first. Uh, we said that about Denmark and, and England and the Euros. If Denmark really were going to take England and push them, they had to make them feel uncomfortable. Now, England came back within nine minutes and never really made, you know, never felt uncomfortable, right? But, but that's where Honduras is going to have to make it happen. I don't see it. I think Mexico is going to win this pretty, quite easily. I think Mexico win and to nil plus 113 on William Hill is probably the best scoreline because it's so one-sided to Mexico. Yeah, and I, I will say that Honduras came out uh, well against against Qatar, and they had a couple chances early mm-hmm, on, mm-hmm. called back for offside and a number of things. But they did what they did do well, they did the same against the U.S. where these darting little diagonal runs and sort of finding those gaps and stretching you wide into these places that go from sort of like a through ball to a half chance to a big chance and big opportunity. And they're going to have to do that against Mexico is just find those pockets and ways to stretch them out uh, if they're going to have any chance. And again, I, I'm not going to disagree with you on any, I think this is a, a, a huge task for, for Honduras, but we've seen it before, right? They're, they're for as depleted as they are, you know what it's like when sometimes you play with nothing to lose that can actually have a shift on things, but this Mexico team uh, they're not messing around. They're not seeing, you know, they're seeing that same opportunity against Honduras to say, you know, we've got enough experience. We're not going to come out and be like, we're going to walk all over Honduras because it's always, it's always a scrap against Honduras. And it's, 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 it's a, it's a battle and you've got to, you've got to win over each section of the field before that game starts to open up. And, and you said the same thing about, you know, they want to see attractive, but they want to see a stylish, uh, they win emphatically uh, for the Mexico side. And I think the U S is sort of in that same phase. We have so many good players playing at big clubs that we just expect them to run all over people. Mm-hmm. And that's why I constantly try to go back to, but international game is different. And it's I would different. love to see a day where the international game for us is the same as it is for Spain. And it's this like rhythmic, beautiful thing that, you know, you, you might still win one nil, but everybody's like, ah, you know, I got my money's worth. Um, but, but it, until then, sometimes, you know, I, I equate it sometimes to when you watch, you know, when I played in the first Bundesliga versus the second Bundesliga, the second Bundesliga was harder because mm-hmm. pitches were rougher. Uh, the speed of the game was faster. What what goes down in actual talent gets made up in work eff- work rate and effort and fight mm-hmm. and whatever so that you're scrapping more for 50-50 balls. You know, teams high press you and force you to play out. So you start playing more direct. They play more direct. And so the game has a little bit more of this... Um, 
just sort of who's going to settle into it first. And you want to make it difficult for them versus it being like, you're good. I'm good. I'm going to, we're going to sit back and we're going to build up. You're going to build up. And I just think that that's not always the way the international game uh, happens, especially in anything of consequence, because it becomes a cagey affair, which is why semifinals a lot of times or finals of tournaments aren't that fun because the game is faster. Everyone's scrapping and no one wants to be the one that opens up and makes that mistake. That's right. That's right. But I don't think all that said, and I think we're trying to give Honduras a little bit of a chance here. This is Mexico's to lose. If, if Mexico loses, it's because they did it to themselves. Not to, not to take anything away from Honduras. I'll obviously have to capitalize on a Mexican mistake, but I just don't see it happening. So uh, Honduras, you did very well to get to this point. Thank you for coming to the Gold Cup, this iteration of 2021. And uh, we'll see if you end up qualifying for the 2022 World Cup. And by the way, I, I got to say that <laughs> Qatar, uh, th that was a battle for first in, in, in the group. Um, and had Honduras gone out, they would have been playing El Salvador, which I think is a, a much more favorable, difficult opponent, but much more uh, favorable than, than obviously playing against Mexico. And that's just the round of the draw. If you go back to our former episodes where we talked about positioning and how you want to get out of a group to avoid certain opponents, this is a perfect example of a Honduras team who's now de depleted and having to face uh, who, uh, the team who's been best in this tournament. So anyways, Jimmy, moving on, let's get on to uh, Canada, Costa Rica. Uh, we've obviously gotten a, a, a taste of Canada and the way that they played against the U.S., Costa Rica. And Jimmy, this is a fun fact, and you probably know it, but you, you might not. Costa Rica have never won the Gold Cup. And it's weird when I read that, and, I, I, and, I, and I'm sure I knew that before. But when I think about Costa Rica, I think about a CONCACAF giant. I think about this team that's always in World Cups, always competing, always producing top-level players um, in, in our region. Um, but they've made it to a final once, and they, they, they lost in, in 02. And they've never won. Canada have won the Gold Cup. And it just seems bizarre to me that a team that has caused the U.S. so much grief and has been such a, a force uh, reaching World Cups hasn't won the Gold Cup. Yeah, it's Costa Rica for me is in that position. we talked about it before. I think Panama surprisingly got knocked out of this tournament. We're, we're in that spot. Honduras is in that spot too, where they have maybe an over-reliance on some of their older players. Brian Ruiz scored the game winner for them. Brian Ruiz is, I don't know, 45 years old. The guy's been playing forever. I feel like I've got three or four I think he's 36 or, or something. Dude. Okay, That's fine. But he's, okay. he's really, really old and he's been doing it for a long time. And I think when you start to rely on guys that <clears throat> aren't just over 30, but over 35, that's that's a problem, and and we see that in, in multiple positions for some of these countries that I mentioned. And Costa Rica is one of them. They do have some some young talent. I do think they have some vulnerabilities in the back. I'm not a, a, a Calvo fan at all. He got a red card. I don't know if he has to sit out more than one game, but uh, I think it benefits uh, Canada if he does play. I think he's prone to making a lot of mistakes. He seems to play better for his country than than his club. But um, I like Canada in this one. I think that Costa Rica will bring something. They just don't look as sharp as maybe uh, I want them. And I, I, I honestly, I, I watched the Jamaica game that they played last group stage game and, and they want to win that to avoid the U S potentially, or maybe they like playing the U S I'm not really sure, but they didn't perform well. Jamaica was all over them. I thought Jamaica deserved at least a draw, if not the win themselves. And one mistake turned into a goal for Costa Rica and they hold on. Now they're also their, their top goalkeeper. Well, it's not Keeler Navas who's out, but their second string, he got a red card. So they're going to their third string goalkeeper. So that'll be interesting to see as well. For me, Canada also has their own issues. Uh, Alfonso Davies obviously didn't play to start the tournament. Jonathan David's out. Uh, Ayo Akinola, who switched from the U.S. to Canada, that tore his ACL in that U.S.-Canada game. Hopefully a speedy recovery for him. I think he's a fantastic player. But him not being in it hurts them. 
And then uh, Kyle Laren apparently is out as well for the rest of the tournament. So now they're back to their fourth string. I mean, Cavallani, uh, Cavallini, excuse me, Lucas Cavallini plays for the Whitecaps. He's their fourth string, actually, which kind of shows their depth in a lot of different ways, uh, Heath Pierce. But um, he's actually been one of the most consistent performers. I have some notes here. He, he's got f- scored five times in four games at the 2019 Gold Cup, and he added another five in five World Cup qualifiers. So that's crazy that that guy's your fourth choice striker, but he's probably going to start the game. But without those other options of Akinola, without Kyle Laren, who scored a couple goals already in the Gold Cup, obviously without Jonathan David, you're really starting to get a little bit more one-dimensional. Can Costa Rica take advantage of that? I don't know. I actually like Canada to do this. I was really impressed with their performance against the U.S. I think John Herzman has not only instilled and has a nice crop of talent, of course, but has instilled a nice identity in the team and a belief that they go can go on and win these games, which maybe Canada didn't have that at times. Mm-hmm. We played against them a bunch too, where if you just kind of got to them first and you could take charge of the game, they would never really punch back. But now I see them punching back in a, in a much more meaningful way. They believe that they're, they're as good as they are. And I don't know if we could always say that. Yeah, there'd be moments where Dwayne Day Rosario would, you know, step up and carry the flag and help them win something. And yes, they did win a gold cup in the past, but these are just little blips, I think, over in their overall history. So this is a big moment for them. To be able to do that with all these names that they're going to be missing would be really important for this core of players. Very similar to the U.S., right? For them to go out and do something substantial in this tournament without all of our quote-unquote big names would be very important for that and also just for the player pool overall. And I think Canada is in the same boat. They're plus 188 to win straight up. Costa Rica's plus 150. So Costa Rica are the slight favorites, but I don't see it. I think Canada are the better team. I think they've been playing better throughout the group stages. And... I, I like Canada to win this. I really do. Yeah, Jimmy. My only other question on on this preview because I think I think you did a great job uh, covering both these teams is Luis Fernando Suarez three and zero as manager for Costa Rica. What does that mean when you have, especially at the international level, for for people listening, to have a change of coach and what that means for a player who maybe wasn't getting the looks that they wanted, or a player who now has to step up, a fresh set of eyes. You know, he's he's an experienced. Uh, manager, what what does that mean usually when you come in and sort of the spark that that can have uh, for a national team? No, I think it's important for the player pool to feel. I guess when there's a new coach that comes in, everybody feels like they have a new they have a chance, right? It's it's a it's a blank page, and now it's up to you to write and and give that first impression to the coach. Obviously, you have to get called into camp so you can prove yourself. So there's still that hurdle for everybody that might be on the bubble, but for everybody that was in you're going to get a chance to, to, for the coach to evaluate you with his own set of eyes. Now, he's probably seen it before, but I think as a coach, and you've been around enough as a player and probably when in any coaching that you do do and as you're going through your coaching license courses, you still want to see the player with your own eyes. Yeah, a scout might say this or a friend might say that, but you want to see how this player does, how they make decisions, how do they support the play, how do they communicate, how do all these intangibles that you can't put on paper that a heart rate monitor can't, you know, whatever. We're so analytical now about the game. Sometimes I feel like we miss out on these little important things. And in some ways we might miss out on some very important players because it can't always scale on some chart, these intangibles that uh, can really bring the team together in a lot of different ways. So I think when you have a new coach, there's that opportunity to kind of write your own story with that coach and, and really have a new first impression because What's a coach also, and you know this on the flip side, makes his mind up about you. It's really hard, really hard to change that coach's mind about what you're capable of. So 
to be able to have that fresh breath of air, I'm sure is, uh, is nice for a lot of those players. That said, uh, I am just not, I'm not buying what Costa Rica is selling at the moment, even with a new coach. Uh, they weren't convincing when they beat Guadalupe three, one, uh, they had to come from behind to beat Suriname. And I thought they got outplayed by Jamaica. Those are the three group stage games. I just think that Canada comes in with a little bit more to prove uh, despite their injuries. And, and I think they're going to do it. I like that. All right, Jimmy. So let's move on to our last uh, match uh, of the quarterfinals, uh, Qatar against El Salvador. And just to tee up a little bit, and this is, this is uh, the angle that I'm looking at here. Uh, Jimmy is obviously they've got three players on two goals each uh, with Ali Afif and Hatem each having three goals. They've got a number of experienced players in this team. Uh, a few over a hundred caps, all players play domestically. So, and not only that, but 12 of this roster play at Al Saad and Al Saad like are, are considered this kind of the big, the biggest club in, in, in Qatar, but that's a starting lineup of a team that's called into your national team. And so when you think about necessarily where they might lack in quality, one, I like the way I've always liked the way that Middle Eastern teams national teams play the style of play that they're very technical they're they're it's it's kind of an entertaining style of play which i like but they have this rhythm of a team um that's almost like a club team right and and then they have seven players that are at uh duhail i think it's called duhail mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um that are playing there and so you're really talking about a unique group and when you you know if you've ever looked at caps and things like that a number of times you have these unsanctioned games that happen in certain areas where it's like, oh, we can no matches. We get the national team together because all of our players play domestically. You have that with a lot of uh, African nations. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is a team that is at, at a minimum well-tuned. Obviously, 2019, they won the, the, the Asian Cup. Um, and it was a huge triumph and a, and a complete sort of Cinderella story, just not to get it out of context that they were a favorite or something like that. Um, you know, they had to beat Japan, Korea, you know, um, uh, Emirates, they had to beat, uh, I'm trying to think of who else was in that, that they had, to, uh, Saudi Arabia, who I think were the reigning champs. So a lot of teams they had to run through and they ran on this, had this Cinderella run. They're now going to be hosting a world cup. Um, I guess that's a long winded way of saying that I, I feel this team is uniquely positioned, um, and, and a little bit of a, of a wild card of, in terms of knowing who, who, and how they play outside of now having video, footage of all their matches. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on Qatar and, and, and their chances against El Salvador? Well, what I'll say is when you say that there's two clubs that are dominating this national team domestically, it makes me think of the Spanish national team that for many years had just Barcelona and Real Madrid players for the most part. And I do think that it does build, obviously there's a nice rivalry between those two, two particular clubs I brought up from Spain, but it also builds this kind of understanding of how we're going to play. And also the Barcelona tie-in here, and I think you guys are going to like this nice segue, is that Al Saad is actually managed by Xavi. And you can see his influence on this team. You can see that they're looking to play in a way that maybe they couldn't or didn't think about before, didn't have the quality or the players to, to really execute at that type of level. And I look at uh, Akram Afif, the number 11 in particular. Now, he was in Belgium, first division for a while, and he ended up getting signed by Villarreal. Like, there was enough there. And I think when you watch him play, he's probably my favorite player on the team, the number 11. He pulls the strings. He makes the passes and, and the break lines. You know, he's had a couple assists this tournament as well. He's always looking to play forward. I can understand why Xavi loves this guy. And since he's been back at Al Saad, he has, let's see, what was it, 50, excuse me, in 57 games, he's got 49 goals or something. Jeez. Yeah, so, and this is as a, 
this is as a he's not a striker you know he's in the he's in the midfield and yeah he takes the penalties and all that good stuff i think but that said i mean he's still such an influential influential guy so for me pivoting to el salvador a little bit el salvador have been very good i think they've only given up two goals in their last nine or ten games in all competitions including a lot of friendlies of course mm -hmm. but they lost one zero to mexico that probably should have more of a three to two if everything played out the way that it should and people had composure in the box. Three two, I think Mexico deserved to win, all things considered. But they hung with them, and that's really important for their confidence. I actually think of all the games in the quarterfinals, this one's the most exciting because El Salvador can punch with anybody, and and Qatar has something to prove. You, you can feel that they want to come in here. They won the Asian Cup, as you mentioned. And they want to come in here and try to do the same and have a good account of themselves. They don't have really any other meaningful games to prepare for because they're hosting the World Cup. They don't have to go through that qualifying process. They lose that opportunity to get some edge. And you can sense that belief. I think that Qatar are going to do the business here. I just think that they've looked very good. And I think they surprised some teams. Maybe they won't surprise El Salvador, but Qatar have scored first in every single game. Even that magical 3-3 against Panama, which was probably the best game of the tournament. But if, if El Salvador wants to have a chance, they need to score first to make Qatar feel uncomfortable. I've talked about it before, but it's a real thing. And they have to make them feel uncomfortable for a long time. Now, when Qatar went up 1-0 over Panama, they gave up the lead in, in like two minutes, and it was 1-1. Then they took it back in two minutes, and then it was 2-2 three minutes after that. So they need – I think you can get at Qatar a little bit, but you have to score first. And if El Salvador scored first, then I think there's a good chance. They could get a result, take it to a draw, maybe extra time. But I don't know. This Qatar team has a little something. I don't want to take anything away from all of our El Salvadoran fans because I think they have a, a special squad and they're going to be well supported in this game. And, and uh, they were one of my favorite teams to play against because their fans were awesome. But I don't know. There's something about this Qatar team that I really like. And I think it really generates uh, around Afif, the number 11. So if El Salvador can get around Afif and not allow him to have that influence and maybe force him to play backwards or sideways, then they put themselves in a, in a position to get a result. I just think it's going to be a tough game. Yeah, I think interestingly enough, Jimmy, uh, Qatar played essentially an away game against Honduras. It was a loud Honduran crowd, and it was, and they handled it well. I thought Honduras w w will be a good example for, for El Salvador to look at in terms of where those gaps are. I think that they did have a few chances. I think they flirted with with their line a little bit. And, and obviously Qatar got it right more often than they got it wrong, but there are some chances out there to expose them and spread them out, especially on the counter. I think Honduras are so good at just that, that sort of a vert vertical advancing of the ball, getting into the channels and really starting to isolate players one-on-one. -on -one. If, if, if El Salvador can do that and start to pull that team apart, I think they're going to have some chances to score. But as you mentioned, you've also got to prevent them from scoring first uh, because that's where they seem to be really comfortable and, and confident uh, once they get to that point. So uh, that's well said. But um, any other thoughts on, on this match? I'm just going to say that I'm looking at the betting lines on William Hill. I think there are going to be some goals in this one. I like the over two and a half at plus 150. I think this is going to be a bit of a punching back, maybe similar to what we saw with Qatar, Panama, where uh, El Salvador have, have some options uh, going forward that are very good. And I just I think it's going to be a little bit more wide open. I don't think this one will be tight, or at least that's what I'm hoping for, I guess. But that plus 150 over two and a half goals is something I'm looking at. Now, there was some betting places. I don't know where everybody bets, but on William Hill where, and hopefully you go there, but, but Qatar's a heavy favorite on William Hill. And I think that they should put some, a little bit more respect on El Salvador's name. If it went to a draw, I mean, we saw a 3-3 with, with Qatar and Panama. 
plus 230 after 90 minutes is not some bad value. So just something to look at there. But yeah, I think that uh, it's going to be Qatar, U.S. in one semifinal and Mexico, Canada in the other. That's well said. Yeah, I think when you think about CONCACAF, right, you think U.S., Mexico, Costa Rica, Panama, Honduras. And I think El Salvador was, was, was tinkering for a while, and, and, and they are strong, and, and it's good to see them sort of come back. I think a getting to a semifinal would be huge for their confidence and earning that respect back in CONCACAF again as one of the nations that, that, should, be, uh, that should be considered when you think about you know, who are the bigger, bigger teams in CONCACAF or who's difficult to play against or beat in CONCACAF, Canada included. But yeah, I think we're starting to see, uh, again, a reemergence of a more robust uh, region of, of teams that can get results uh, against anybody. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how this one plays out. Yeah, they're going to be the first game of all the quarterfinals on Saturday, 4.30 p.m. Pacific, 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. And then Mexico-Honduras will be after that. And then, of course, we're going to have a recap of both of those games, Heath Pierce. So I look forward to uh, digging in and seeing if we were exactly right. Because like, I know that we consider ourselves geniuses. <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy, I'm the host. Don't talk about what's coming up. I, I'm the one that's in charge of this one today, okay? You sit back and give me the analysis. I will, tell, I will, I will, I will guide this ship where it needs to go. So that's it. Jimmy, I want to thank everyone for listening. The Gold Cup coverage will continue for the rest of the tournament. As Jimmy mentioned, we'll be giving you recaps all weekend long from the matches. And uh, make sure you follow the pod on Twitter at Pod, And you can listen to this on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or watch it on YouTube. And uh, we will see you guys this weekend. Later. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.